we were starting the series in, uh, in signs, and basically we're going to be looking at uh, just several signs leading up to Easter that shows what Jesus Christ was all about when he came down to earth. And so uh, the video that we showed you from The Chosen just gives you a good picture of what it actually was like to be at this family wedding uh, where, where there was a big issue uh, happening that they, they ran out of wine on the first day and how uh, Jesus not only met that physical need, but what it meant as a bigger picture. And you know, that that's what signs are. Signs are big pictures of what's going to happen. And I remember like whenever you drive down the road or you go from one state to another, when you enter a new state, there's a couple of signs that you see, right? You see a sign that says, uh, and, you know, if, it, if it's a nice cordial state like Ohio, right? They tell you goodbye when you leave, right? It says what? Thank you for visiting. And then the next thing you'll see is like, welcome to Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, welcome to Indiana, welcome to Michigan, because those are nice Midwestern states and everybody says hi and bye. When you go into New York, the first thing you see when you drive in there, when you drive into New York City, it says welcome to New York and then it says forget about it and then it will actually leave right away. You know how they say hi when you enter New York? They charge you $16 toll to get over into New York. That's how they say hi. That was the sign. So signs, signs are important because signs shows you where you're going. Have you ever driven down the road and all of a sudden you see a construction sign that you know it's there? You've driven down this road a hundred times, but it always tends to creep up on us that this sign of construction is coming under. And what does a sign of construction tell us? Number one, it says that the state found a way to keep people employed. Amen, right? It says, number two, you're going to have a really, really long time getting out of where you were at. But number three, what? That it's under construction. Things are happening. Things, new things are coming but it's not done yet, right? And so the signs that we see in our life sometimes show us that there are things that are coming, there are things that are going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And in the Gospel of John, we see something just like that. We see that there are these signs that Jesus Christ is who he not only would proclaim that he is, but what the Old Testament promised that he would be. And so we're looking at John chapter 2 today, and this is one of the first uh, things that, that we see that Jesus does in his earthly ministry. So anybody who's been around the Bible at any amount of time, you know that most of the gospels, the way like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call those the synoptic gospels. And in those gospels, basically it gives a synopsis of what happens to the life of Jesus. So it starts with what? What happens in everybody's life? It starts with what? the birth, right? And some, and some prophecies about the birth. It goes to the birth. It goes through uh, to the point that he's a youngster in the temple. And then it jumps all of a sudden to what? When he starts uh, getting his disciples together, right? So Matthew spends a lot of time talking about uh, the, the, the Hebrew or the, the Jewishness of it, talking a lot about the ethnicity and the culture and the lineages of Jesus, right? And then you go to Luke, and Luke is a very descriptive gospel, and it basically talks about his lineage, but then goes into great detail about a lot of things about the birth of Jesus, because Luke is transcribe, Luke is writing this to give to his friend Theophilus to tell him, hey, here's what happened with Jesus Christ. Then you have Mark. Mark's a pretty quick gospel. Mark is John Mark, the, the young man who, who didn't quite make it on the first missionary journey with Paul, and Paul didn't take him on the second missionary journey, but it looks like Barnabas encouraged this young man to the point that he's one of our gospel writers, and he writes the gospel of Mark. It's very Roman. It's very quick. It kind of says, basically, it's like, it's like the New York gospel. This is Jesus. This is what he does. Believe him now, and that's it. That's, that's Mark. 
But then John, John is not a synoptic gospel because John doesn't talk about his birth at all. It doesn't give you a lineage, doesn't give you the, the cool nativity story. You don't hear a lot of John being quoted from our little kids when they have their Christmas pageant, right? Because it's not in there. John skips right away to talk about the most important part of Jesus, the fact that not only is he 100% man and a good teacher and a good rabbi, but that he is the son of God. And he talks about his divinity. He talks about, so he'll focus a lot on the, the miracles of Jesus to show that Jesus can do what no one else can do, right? And so one of, so John chapter two gives us one of these examples, the first one of what Jesus does as, as an adult to show that he is more than just a good teacher, more than just a good person, but that he is God the man, all right? So let's take John chapter two, let's all stand and let's read John's gospel, the second chapter. And so we're going to start with the story about the wedding, but we're going to read to the end of the chapter. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. And when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What does that have to do with, with, with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now, six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each, uh, each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take them to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it became wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first, but then after people are drunk, the inferior, but you've kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum together with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples and stayed there only for a few days. The Jewish Passover was near, and so the people, so, so Jesus went up to the Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip of cords, he drove, out, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' uh, coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And the disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will, uh, will consume me. So the disciples of the Jews replied to him, What signs will you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore the Jews said, The temple took 46 years to build, and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he'd said this, and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. While he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not trust himself to them, entrust himself to them because, for, since he knew them all and because he did not need anyone to testify about a man for he himself knew what was in man. My friends, this is the word of God. Thanks for standing. You can be seated. So John, John chapter 2 uh, starts off with a very personal story and then goes on uh, and something really major happens. So you have a, 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 family, a family wedding and then you have something happen, happening at a very public event. 
And one of the things that, that we want to share, and I think that you see in John chapter 2, there is this big pivot that's now being taken from, from Jesus being that cute little baby in a manger to being a very authoritative figure. And when he starts this earthly ministry that he has, we see the word signs come up in this, in this chapter uh, several times. And, and the idea of the sign, the word sign being there is that, um, that there are significant things that Jesus would do to show exactly who he were. Now, here's the thing, and here's what I want us to, to kind of focus and, and grasp in on. It's not the signs that are the ends of everything. It's who the signs point to. And that, that's important because I want you guys to, to hear, hear what I'm saying in this. God will do miraculous things in your life. And we'll take those as signs that God has done something miraculous in our life. But we can't get to the place that those signs become the end all for our religious experience. Signs cannot become idols in our life. They need to be mile markers about what God is doing. And so God heals you, and he heals you miraculously. God pays a bill that you could never pay before. God, God restores a relationship. God does these incredible things, and you take it as a sign that God is working in your life, and you should. But all of a sudden, if the only thing that you can tell people is that one event where God did that one thing, you miss the point. The signs lead to further trust in Christ. The signs, the healings, the miracles and wonders are made for you to trust God more for the next trial that comes forth. Because if all we're looking for is signs and miracles and wonders, we forget that God's biggest events where he's done miraculous things were before the sign happened. And the sign confirmed that God was continuing to work. When God heals you, he wants you to remember how he got you through the sickness. When God provides for you, he wants you to remember how he provided before he did that big wow in your life. What are the signs in our life? Does it lead to this new way? Does it lead to this new life? Or does it just lead to a shrine about what God did in the past? And for us as a church... Recognizing what God has done at the rock over the years or what he's done recently, will that lead us to trust God further or will we always be looking back to what God did? Signs lead to the future. And as we look for these next few weeks, I want us to see how these signs that Jesus shows us who he is and what he proclaims. This is the essence of who we are as believers, that Jesus Christ, more than anything else, is the son of God and the savior of mankind. And so he's a great teacher. He's a great healer. But Jesus Christ wants you to know that what he can do for you is that he can save your soul and change your life. And that's what he wants you to know more than anything else. Jesus Christ wants to be your savior. And so let's look at John chapter two and let's look at some of these verses and let, let's see exactly what's going on here. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' his mother was there and Jesus and his disciples 
were invited to the wedding as well. So I want you to set the scene. It's kind of why I wanted to show you that video so you could kind of humanize exactly what's going on here. Sometimes we just take it and we kind of put it in that gospel timeline and this is what happened. Uh, Jesus' mom was there. Jesus was there. The disciples were there. And I want you to think about this for a second. This was a family wedding, right? This was a a very important event that was very intimate to Jesus' family. This was a family affair. And if any of you have been involved in any kind of wedding planning, you know that these affairs are ridiculously uh, just intricate in some points. Sometimes there's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of decisions that need to be made. It's very emotional, even leading up to the wedding and after. A wedding is a big deal, right? Not only is it a big financial burden, but it's a big deal. Who do you invite? Who don't you invite? Who do you want to make sure it's covered with someone else? What happens when, you're, when your weird uncle says that weird thing about the election in front of your, your liberal aunts and uncles on the other side, and you have World War III happening right at the table because they just can't agree about vaccines? What do we do about that? And do we wear masks at the wedding or don't we? Do we do this? Do we do that? Who do we, like, you know, how many people are we going to, are we going to chuck all the capacity? rules? Are we going to do that? And by the way, are you going to invite your, your, your ex-boyfriend that's still a friend of yours? Awkward, can't do that, right? On the other hand, are you going to invite your, 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 your aunt with her, with her roommate that she's lived with her entire life? Is that going to happen? Like, how, how are all these things going to work out? What will you do during a wedding? I want you to feel that intensity because that's what was going on with at least Mary because this is her family. Mary got nobody. Do you remember Joseph died? Mary has lived her life in a lot of areas as an outcast because she was with child from the Holy Spirit. That's how people said it about her. Mary gave her life to people when a lot of people probably rejected Mary. So the family that still talked to Mary was a big deal to Mary. And to have something go wrong at a wedding is one thing. But to have something go like seriously wrong during a wedding, like running out of wine the first day, was a big deal that everybody felt it. Everybody felt it. So when, when, when Tony and I talk about food for an event, Tony, what's the rule? Right, and then maybe another one more. We don't run out of food, right? If an event's for 100 people, we're making 4,000 people. That's how that works, right? That's why you see a lot of pasta being made and rice being made at Hispanic and Italian events because those are easy to make, right? Because you don't want to run out of food, right? How many, oh, who here makes it like a really good potato salad? Raise your hand. Right? I mean, like sought after potato salad that people like bring your potato salad, right? And imagine if that becomes like the center side dish of a, of a picnic and all of a sudden you run out of potato salad. What happens? People get upset, right? People wonder how come that person took too much, uh, too much potato salad. You wonder if somebody at, at this wedding was like, why did Jesus bring all these disciples with him? They're not family, right? This is why we're running out of wine. A lot of things are going through people's heads. So I want you to understand when, when we're at a wedding, this is a big deal. And it's a big deal with a very big problem. The, if you run out of wine, if you run out of food, you are basically insulting your guests. And these weddings lasted for days. So you're supposed to be prepped for this stuff. And it looks like they ran out. So let me ask you a question. In your life, do you ever feel like, and, and please take this the right way, do you ever feel like you ran out of wine? Right? Bunch of drunkards. No, stay with me on this one, right? What do, you, do you ever feel like you ran out of juice? 
that all of a sudden everything's run dry. You thought you prepped for it. All of a sudden you thought, you know, life is going to turn out this way and things are going to go this way. And then all of a sudden you look and you're completely on empty. Man, I thought I was going to get that job. I thought I was going to get that promotion. I, I thought my kids were going to turn out okay. I thought I was doing everything to remain healthy. All these things. And then all of a sudden, life throws you this curveball, and then you run out, and you have nothing left. And not only do you know on paper or looking at those jars that you have nothing left, you feel it. You, you feel the, the emotional strain on the fact that you don't know what's going to happen next. Do you realize that even in the midst of you not knowing what to do when you're on empty, God already knew before you did that you were going to be in this predicament? Are we, are we brave enough to even engage the thought that sometimes God puts us on empty so he can show you how rich he actually is? Are you, are you willing to go through a trial in order for God to be glorified? Because when God's glorified, do you realize your life is always better off when God is glorified? When God gets the praise, it usually trickles down to us too, and all his blessings come with it. Are, are, we, are we there? Are we at that place in our life when we recognize that when things go sideways or things that are on empty, that God is still at work? We have to recognize it, and we have, have to know it to be true. So Jesus is there, his mother is there, and his disciples are there. So this also sets the stage for something else that Jesus wants to do with, his, with these signs and what God wants to do with the signs in our life when we read the word of God. God wants us to be present to experience what he's doing in our life. And so the fact that, that the disciples were invited to this wedding, that seems to be a wedding that was financially strapped, because look, they ran out of wine on the first day. They invite these disciples, because that's just what you do. It, it, it's, a good, it, it's a good thing to invite people, right? But God allows all these people to be on scene to see what Jesus is going to do. Are we looking at the word of God and looking at the promises of God and looking at what God throws at us in our life? Are we looking at it as opportunities to see what God is going to do? Uh, some of us, have we gotten to the place where, where we don't know what's going to happen next? The only prayer that we wind up praying is this. Well, God, I just can't, can't wait to see what you're going to do. Are, are we there? Let's look at verse 3. Got verse three. No, it's not clicking. There we go. All right. Glitch number one for the day. All right. Verse three. When the wine ran out, Jesus's mother told them they don't have any wine. Okay. So I, I, the wine runs out. Obviously, Mary, either Mary's snooping or they trust Mary enough because they go to Mary. Maybe at this point, she could be the oldest family member, right? And they go to Mary and they go, we're out of wine. I mean, we see it just as a statement of, of, of just normalcy, but man, imagine, um, okay, uh, imagine you're at a wedding. Oh no, let's, let's, I don't want to think about beast feast because if it happens, I'm, I'm going to cry. But like, I'm going to go there. Imagine we run out of meat at beast feast. Yeah, like, I mean, now you're feeling it, right? All of a sudden, like, there's, there's a... a there, there was all this meat that was promised and all this meat that was 
that was eaten up and we have none left and we're like in the first hour. Like, what, what, would, we, what would we do, right? We'd all go to our Mother Mary and we go, Jim Hicks, what we doing? <laughs> you know, like, cause, cause, because J- Jim's our problem solver. Yo, Jim, how does this work? Usually our sentences start like this. So when you were in EMS, how did you work out this? How did we do that with me? When you were there, what did we do? Like, how does that, how does that work? What do we do if we run out? Have you ever, I mean, what do you do when you run out? You go to the person that could possibly handle it. So they go to Mary because Mary is this lady of faith. You know this from the very beginning. She is a woman of faith. And so they reach out to the only one that maybe would have listened and they say, we run out. And what does Mary do? Mary goes to the one, people who have faith go to the person that can fix it. And people who are of faith know the only person that can fix things is Jesus. So she doesn't try to go to the market and find, they, don't, they have no money, they can't make it happen. She doesn't, go, she doesn't go to the master of ceremonies because that would be embarrassing. She goes to the one that she knows cares about, the Mary. And who does Mary go to? The one she knows who can solve it, Jesus. And she tells Jesus in verse three, they ran out of wine. Just a statement, they ran out. Mary knows full well who her son is. But one thing, that sometimes Mary forgets because she also forgot it a little bit earlier when they were in the temple is that Jesus's main goal isn't to do what Mary says. Jesus' main responsibility was not to obey his mother in all things. Jesus's and our main responsibility is to obey God to the fullest that we can. And we know from this point forward, Jesus was a baby, was presented in the temple. We know a little bit about him in like his, his 12 to 13 year olds when he's, when he's at the temple and with the scholars. And then that's it for a while. That's all we hear. So at this point, Jesus hasn't gone public about who he is. We know behind the scenes, he's been, he's been calling disciples, doing all these things, but he hasn't done anything really public yet. And so for Mary to say they're out of wine, you know what she wanted. But Jesus, just like he tells Mary at the temple, I'm about my father's business. And she goes, no, not Joseph, God, my father. Again, this is what, what Jesus says. Jesus says, what does this have to do with me and you? It's not my time yet. So he point blank asks his mom, why, why are you telling me this? My hour hasn't come, it's not my time. This is not on my timeline to reveal myself. God, he's saying this is not God's will whenever you say that you want me to do something that I'm not, that I'm supposed to listen to you. Guys, God is not a genie in a bottle that you just go to God whenever you want something and expect him to answer it for you. That is not who our savior is. Our savior is above time and space. He controls history. He moved through history so that you would hear about the gospel. God's timing is always right. But Mary still had a need. It's like when your life is on empty, at this point, to be quite frank, you don't care what God's timeline is. What do you say? God, I need you to work. And then when you get a little bit more spiritual, you say, thy will be done. And then, then we'll get really, really spiritually creative and we'll go to God. We'll say this, God, if it's in your will, right? And you know, God, God chuckles because he's like, this guy, come on, really? He knows if it's in my will, I'm going to, you don't have to tell God if it's in your will, it'd be done. He, that, that's what he does. <laughs> you know, that, that's him. But man, there's just something about when mom asks him for something. 
I don't know if the timeline changed or if Mary needed to know that this was the time and so she asked. I don't know what transpired, but it was go time for Jesus at this point. And I believe that God puts us in the situations. You know, God, God may have known that this was the time and Mary may have thought that this was the time, but God still wants us to ask. God wants us to still reach out to the, to the God of the cosmos and say, I, I need you to work on our behalf. And Jesus immediately goes to work. And I love how Mary puts it in verse five, do whatever he tells you. That's what his mom told the servant. So a couple of things with that. Number one, I think it's a really good idea. Maybe this is a good bumper sticker for us. Do whatever Jesus tells you, right? When, whenever you're thinking about what to do next, just, just do what Jesus tells you. Just get it. Whatever the word of God says, do that, right? That, that's like Christianity, like one, that's like remedial Christianity, guys. Like just do what the Bible says and life will be good. But, I, but I, I also know that Mary understands that sometimes what her son does doesn't make sense to people. And those of us who understand who Jesus is, we understand sometimes the thing God asks us to do doesn't make sense to other people. So sometimes we need to be encouraged, do what God's word says. I know it doesn't make sense, but follow what the word of God says over anything else. This is part of that new way and that new life. That the new way we live, the new life that we have, focuses on following the word of God above all else, even when it doesn't make sense. Your checkbook's on empty. You don't know how you're gonna pay the next bill. The doctor just gave you some life-changing, life-shattering news. You receive a call from your kid's school. You and your spouse are just duking it out. You're having it out. And you don't know what's going to happen next. The last thing that sometimes we think about is, what would God have us to do? Like, we, we think it would be a hokey thing for us to go, you know what? Before we fight any further, let's get the Bible out. If, if we ever tried that at our house, what would happen? Oh, there goes Billy Bible. Thinking, no, we, we, it's not normal for us to get into the world, word when we should. And so Mary tells them, do whatever he says just to kind of set them up. You may not like what he's about to say, but please go do it. So she gives him that advice, do whatever he says. So there's six stones, verse six. Now there's six stone water jars that have been set there for Jewish purification each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Now, the, now these jars were there. A lot of households have them. They were for, for purification, right? So, so whether it was something going on that, that you got sick or ill or things like that, there were these, 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 these stone jars that were there. And the way that they were built, they were built so most of the impurities would not be in the water that you filled it from so that when you would go through a purification ritual, the water that was in there would be as pure as it possibly could be. And so you had these things in your house and they, on your property and they had six of these there. And so they were made for a specific purpose to, for, for you to go through a ritual to get you into a right state with God again. So whether whatever it was, whether you were clean from leprosy or some, some, some blood ailment or whatever, whatever, or you touched something that was unclean, whatever it was, this was the way for you to get back into a good relationship with God. 
you had to become pure, right? Remember, all these signs in the Old Testament pointed to what Jesus Christ was going to do for us. So these purification rites were all solved when Jesus Christ died for our sins, right? But they, these were important things. These were, these were more than just religious relics. These were used on a regular basis for you to maintain a right relationship with God, okay? So these jars are there. And so he tells them to take these jars and to fill them to the brim. So a couple of things. A, just like Thomas says in the video, I don't know if you heard correctly, Jesus, but we're not running out of water. We're running out of wine, right? So first of all, for some of us, whenever what, reading this is like, why, why, why are we wasting time with water? That may be the first thing. When God tells us to do something, when God shows us a sign about the new way that we're supposed to live and this new life that we have, we may question what God is trying to do because it doesn't make sense. And sometimes we think God didn't hear our request right? Sometimes God tells us to do this and we want to remind God, no God, I didn't say I want to, I need to read my Bible more. I said, I need you to fix my bank account, right? No, God, I didn't know. No, I, I know I need to go to church, God, but if I don't work the second shift, I'm going to get, God, right? I know, I know, I know I'm supposed to lead my kids into the way of the Lord, but man, the scouts are going to be out of the game tonight. He needs to get a scholarship to, Right? God tells you to do something very simple, fill a jar with water, and we're trying to tell God what we want already. So he says, fill the jars with water. The other argument could be, God, these jars are for Jesus, these are for a specific purpose. These, these are for purification. You want to use something that we don't use normally for something else, and God does that sometimes. That God uses things that we normally wouldn't use for something in order for it, to, for it to work out. And we have to remember at those points, God is the one who is the creator of everything. And if God says, use the jars, use the jars. So they fill them to the brim. So he tells them, after he fills them to the brim, and after this, this miracle is performed, he says, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. What it doesn't see, say yet is that whether or not uh, Jesus did the miracle, we know when they pour out that he did. But these servants had to have enough faith to draw this out, right? No matter what was going to come out, they, he, they were told to just draw out and take some to the master of the banquet. Now, back then, I don't know if you guys know this or not, Pyrex wasn't a thing, right? Tupperware and plexiglass was not a thing. So it's entirely possible from them pouring from the jar into the pitcher, they may not have seen anything of what it was like. And everybody walking around may not have known what it looked like. So, so honestly, for some of these servants, especially if it was at nighttime in, in the ceremony, because it's at the end of the first day, so it's probably at nighttime, they're poor. And remember, they also don't have like, you know, spotlights around. They don't have, they don't have like, you know, the big rental, you know, uh, tents for weddings. Like it, it could have been kind of dark. And all of a sudden he says, draw it, pour it and take it to the master. At this point, they have no clue what's inside that picture. And they're going to the master of the feast and they're basically saying, here, do you realize how much faith it is for us to sometimes just trust God with what he says and not even, I mean, just to do it? I mean, it's, it's incredible the amount of, of, uh, of, of spiritual fortitude it takes to just trust God at his word. So he tells them. Fill it to the brim, draw it out. So the master of the banquet tastes, and we know what happens, that it's been turned to wine. Now he knows it's wine, 
He didn't realize where it came from because ser- only the servants knew. So all of a sudden, so now who also are participants in knowing what, what Jesus can do? Jesus, his mom, the disciples, and who else now? The servants. The servants know that now this, something happened. So we know, skip to the next verse. We know what happens. The bride, he goes and he says, hey, a lot of people bring out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine later because everybody's drunk and no one's going to care at this point. But these people waited to the end to give us the best wine now. So now we know that Jesus not only is able to turn water into wine, whatever Jesus produces is the best you've ever tasted because it comes from Jesus himself. So what does this sign have to do with anything that for for you in our life? Let's look at verse 11. Uh, Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and he revealed his glory, and the disciples believed in him. So I want you to look at that last sentence. His disciples, as he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. All right? So his first sign. Now, remember, we're on a, G, we're on a road. Our GPS says we're under construction. We think we're going to be, uh, you know, just sitting there for a while. And all of a sudden, it says, go forward. We go from being under construction for saying, for GPS saying, yo, go, go over the speed limit if you want. Go down the road. This one sign caused the disciples to believe in him, but it also caused what to happen? For the glory to start coming out now. Jesus Christ was now pretty much entered his public ministry with this one intimate thing that happened at an intimate event. Jesus gave us his first sign that he is the creator of the universe. And he changes water into wine because we know all throughout the New Testament, New Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, wine is a sign of the blood, right? Wine is a sign of the blood of Jesus. So he shows us this first sign that Jesus Christ will give everything of himself. He will give his blood for us. He immediately tells us that this is his first sign that he has come to die for our sins. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. He begins to tell us that and he reveals his glory and his disciples believe in him. So verse 12 says that he goes back to Capernaum, which is like kind of like his hub where he goes. This is where most of his disciples are from. This is where he hangs out. He goes back with his mother, his brothers and disciples, and he stays there for a few days, right? So we have this wedding. We have his first his first major miracle in front of people they go back home they chill for a couple of days verse 13 here's what he does now the Jewish Passover was near so Jesus goes up into Jerusalem the temple he finds people selling oxen sheep and doves Uh, these are for the sacrifices that that are going to happen and he also finds uh, the money changers sitting there okay so next verse so after making a whip out of, okay, hold on. Something crazy happened in the story. Jesus goes from Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem. He sees all the beautiful animals that are going to be made for sacrifice. Everything's pretty normal. And then he sees these guys with money at a table and Jesus makes a whip. What happened between those two verses? Okay, so think about this. If you don't know, and you probably do, there was this system that they had. And the best way I can describe the system that the temple, that these money changers had, was basically what happens when you go to Disney World and they give you those Mickey bucks, the Disney dollars, right? All of a sudden, that's the only money that works at Disney World are these Disney bucks. And you have to change your money into Disney money so that the only money you use while you're there is what? Disney money, right? So all of a sudden, you're only going to spend it there. 
And so the idea is that what these money changers would do is they would say, hey, while you're here at the temple, in order to buy and sell, you need to change your money into temple money. And what they would do is they would have an exchange rate so that whenever you changed your money into temple money, they would make money off of your money. Some pretty shady stuff, right? And all of a sudden, Jesus goes, no, what is the point? So now they've made keeping the relationship with God similar or the same, in the same level of, of now people making money off of it. And so he takes this whip out and he drives them all out of the temple with their sheep and their oxen because their animals usually cost more too. And he pours the money changers coins and overturns the table. So here's what we have. Jesus who, who saves the party, Jesus who hangs out with his family is now whipping people and turning over tables. What does that tell us about Jesus? Let's look at the next verse. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Here's what I want you to know about your savior and the first sign that he, sh that he shares. Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe that not only that can take away the price of your sins, he is the one that has the keys to heaven and hell. So the only one that can save you from yourself is Jesus because it takes a lot of, 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 of pizzazz but also a lot of, 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 of confidence in yourself to go up to money changers and go, get out of my dad's house. Jesus is now public. And Jesus has gone so public that he also shares not only what he can do for us but what he's not about. And so one of the, the first signs that I want you to think about in this new way and this new life as we close is this. Are you counting on the creator of the world that can change water into wine to give you forgiveness of sins and a home in heaven or has being around Jesus and being around his people and being in God's house just become such a religious experience that's maybe Jesus needs to turn over the tables in your soul. Where are you? Are you religious? Or do you have a real, vibrant, living relationship with Jesus Christ?